Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. Our worst fears have now come true. President Putin of Russia has unleashed war. Russia's response will be immediate and lead you to such consequences that you have never faced in your history. We are ready for any outcome. We now have war in Europe. This, my friends, is our moment. Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right, welcome in. News and Views for a Friday. Lots to talk about today. Unfortunately, the situation in Ukraine doesn't get any better for the Ukrainian people. President Zelensky of Ukraine appeared to take a shot at Joe Biden earlier today for not doing more to assist Ukraine as it fought back the invasion from Russia. Quote, this morning we are defending our state alone. Like yesterday, the world's most powerful forces are watching from afar. He said, did yesterday's sanctions convince Russia? We hear in our sky and see on our earth that this was not enough. Zelensky's comments come as Biden said yesterday that, hey, no one expected the sanctions to prevent anything from happening. Uh, Wait a minute, Joe. Uh, Remember from last week? Kamala Harris was over in Munich, and uh, when it came to sanctions, this is what she said. The purpose of the sanctions has always been and continues to be deterrence. These are some of the greatest sanctions, if not the, the, the strongest, that we've ever issued. As I articulated yesterday, it, it is directed at institutions, in particular financial institutions and individuals, and it will exact absolute harm for the Russian economy and their government. Uh, Deterrent was the word she said. Uh, What exactly is the definition of deterrent? According to Mr. Webster, deterrent serving to discourage, prevent, or inhibit. And uh, Joe says no one expected the sanctions to prevent anything. (laughs) If that's true, Joe, then why did you bother? Zelensky added, in part during a speech, we are left alone in defense of our state. Who is ready to fight with us? Honestly, I do not see such. Who is ready to guarantee Ukraine's admittance to NATO? Honestly, everyone is afraid. I tell you, all the partners of our state, now is an important moment. The fate of our country is being decided. I ask them, are you with us? They answer that they are with us, but they're not ready to take us to the alliance. Today, I ask the 27 leaders of Europe whether Ukraine will be in NATO. I ask directly. Everyone is afraid. They do not answer. You know, history repeats itself. And, you know, when Hitler started to go into European countries, they kept thinking, all the other countries kept thinking, well, that's all he wants. He's going to stop there. Zelensky went on and said, are we not afraid of anything? Are we not afraid to defend our state? We are not afraid to defend our state. We are not afraid of Russia. We are not afraid to talk to Russia. We are not afraid to say everything about security guarantees for our state. We are not afraid to talk about neutral status. We are not in NATO now. But the main thing, what security guarantees will we have and what specific countries will give them? 
During the early morning hours on Thursday, Zelensky said he would arm anyone who wanted to fight back against the Russians. We'll give weapons to anyone who wants to defend the country. Uh, Our producer sent me a picture earlier today of an 80-year-old grandfather who signed up to be a part of the defense in Ukraine, and he said, I'm doing it for my grandchildren. I would hope that if I was in my—I think I love my grandchildren enough that I would I would be there with that grandpa. I mean, I've, I've lived a good life, and I, I, I don't want to sound boastful, but I, I, I think and I hope that I would be willing to lay down my life for my grandkids. Well, I know I would be willing to do that, but to, to sign up for—to to be a part of the Army if I was in that situation. Snake Island is a small island— It is some 40 miles from Romania, but it is controlled by Ukraine. It's a a Ukrainian territory. Russia now controls it. It is one of the many skirmishes that have erupted all over the country amid this new war launched by Putin. On Snake Island, there were 13 Ukrainian troops posted there as border guards. They were ordered to surrender by a Russian ship. They could have, but this is war. This is a fight for their home. There would be no retreat. A Russian naval ship ordered them to throw down their arms. Their response? Russia military ship. Go F yourself. They were all killed. The Daily Mail takes the story further. The Ukrainian troops defiantly refused to give up the territory. Instead, they replied with the defiant message, go F yourself. Soon afterwards, all were killed in an aerial bombardment. Late on Thursday, Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky uh, acknowledged the deaths of the soldiers. The island is ruled by Ukraine, but sits just miles off the coast of NATO member Romania. Snake Island is strategically important because it will allow Russia to claim territorial waters stretching 12 nautical miles out to sea. They cover important shipping channels to the port cities in Ukraine. After taking the island, Russia would be able to cut off the shipping channels, isolating Ukraine from international markets and depriving its economy of vital trade revenues as it seeks to defend itself. But here's the bigger underlying story that I've alluded to several times this last week. The bigger underlying story might just be the fact that these Ukrainians would rather die than live under the iron boot of communism. And this is the unknown factor that will, I think, haunt the Russians in this conflict. And Russia might take over Ukraine, and it might happen this weekend. I hope not, but it's possible. It Right now, it looks dire. But even if they take over, this will continue to haunt the Russians for a long, long time. At the height of the Cold War, you heard a number of people say, I would rather be dead than red. Some people, it was just something to say. Some people were serious. People who have grown up in the freedom of the United States don't know the suffering and pain of living under totalitarian rule. The Ukrainian people do know. 
their freedom is not even one generation old. It was some 30 years ago that they got their freedom. When the United States was fighting England in our Revolutionary War, our founding fathers and their families also knew what it was like to live apart from freedom and liberty. They, too, were willing to lay down their lives and their fortunes for such freedoms. It is sad that today's progressives are so blinded by their liberal ideology that they don't realize the sweetness and value of the liberty they live in. They would rather relinquish liberty for what they think is security, and in the end, they will have neither. How valuable is true freedom and liberty? How valuable is it? Just ask those 13 Ukrainian soldiers. This is the unknown. This is what, um, and listen, this is why the United States beat Great Britain, beat England in the Revolutionary War. I mean, Russia, this is not their homeland. Ukraine, it is their homeland. That They're fighting for their homeland. These 13 soldiers, when they said, go F yourself, they knew what was coming. There's another interesting story out of Fox News, which goes right along with this Snake Island story. Vladimir Putin may have overplayed his hand by invading Ukraine as opposition to the war grows in Russia. There were some 2,000 Russians in Moscow protesting what Vladimir Putin was doing, and most of them were arrested. And they, when they went out there to protest, they knew they were going to be arrested. Arrested. This is a massive miscalculation, said University of Wisconsin-Madison professor Yoshika Harara, who is an expert on U.S.-Russians relations. This action yesterday was just another level of crazy. It's a ruination of Russia for decades, so damaging for Ukraine and so costly all around. More than 2,000 demonstrators in Russia protested the unprovoked attack on Ukraine. They've been arrested, according to OVD Info, a Russian human rights organization. The demonstrations are especially noteworthy in a country that suppresses dissent. The people who are taking to the streets know that they will likely end up in jail, Harara said. In my view, this is going to be extremely unpopular in Russia, even for the people who are pro-Putin. Putin's approval rating stood at 69% in January, but that number is obviously misleading, because you might get in jail if you don't say, oh, yeah, I approve of Putin. Historically, Russia and Ukraine don't have a level of hostility that would justify this incursion, this violent incursion. Ukraine has elected pro-Russian leaders, and two countries consider themselves more like brothers than enemies, Harara said. There is a lot of inter-ethnic hospitality, the scholar explained. Images of Ukrainian families... Ukrainians being killed, your average Russian family is not going to be okay with that. Since the attack began, more than 57 people now, it's more like 157 people have been killed and some 300 wounded. In addition to sanctions, there is a significant social fallout over the invasion. Harara said that Putin's decision is even more mind-boggling considering he essentially had a victory after the incursion into the Donbass area, 
where separatists and Ukrainians have been fighting for eight years. Uh, these two issues are, really make this situation really interesting. And I, I don't know if, if Putin's enthusiasm for reestablishing the USSR, the original Soviet Union, I don't know if he is blinded by that. But between the facts that the Ukrainians are willing to lay down their lives, that the citizenry is willing to lay down their lives to establish freedom for the children and grandchildren, and the fact that the Russian people are not behind this, I think Putin has chewed off a lot more than he knows. It is sad. Uh, I continue to ask you to, to pray for the people of Ukraine, pray for the citizenry of Russia, and uh, pray, too, that Joe Biden would wake up. I mean, of all the things that he could do would not only help the United States immediately, but hurt Russia immediately, help our European allies immediately, would be to open up the XL pipeline and to reestablish the leases on federal land for drilling for oil and gas. Last November, we were importing some 800,000 barrels of, uh, I'm sorry, some 595,000 barrels of oil a day from Russia. The XL pipeline would have brought in 835,000 uh, barrels a day of oil from Canada, the XL pipeline. And uh, we could be exporting. We could be a energy exporter, and we could be meeting significant needs for the energy over in Europe that Russia is currently meeting. And I know it's frustrating that Germany, I mean, here we are paying for their defense. Now, I know they've, since Donald Trump forced them to, they've stepped up a little bit, but by and large, we're still paying the large majority of it. And they turn around and say, thank you very much, but we're going to buy our energy from Russia, who seeks to, you know, the, Russia doesn't, thanks for the money, Russia is saying, but uh, don't expect any favors. But listen, if we were to do this, A, our economy would begin to turn around, our energy costs would begin to go down, which means inflation would begin to go down, and it would, it would hurt Russia. And what does Joe Biden say? No, he's going to continue to beg other countries to pump more oil. And he's talking about, oh, but I'll, I'll, uh, I'll loosen some uh, oil out of the uh, strategic oil reserves. I mean, that's, that's gonna do, that, that'll last about three days. And that's it. When you and, and listen, the people in the Biden administration know this. I mean, if at least at least come out and say, look, climate change is still a big deal for us, which I think is ridiculous. Nobody cares about it, but uh, we're going to put that on hold while we take care of this crisis. While our fellow humans, I, I mean, look. We've, we've got these people that are talking about climate change, worried about that we're going to get two degrees warmer over the next hundred years. 
the people over in Ukraine are having their houses blown up, their relatives killed. And Joe Biden is more concerned about climate change. He is. He's more concerned about climate change than he is about human life. So when they talk about, you know, climate change and how it's, you know, going to devastate humanity, uh, go, go over and look at what's happening in Ukraine. That's devastating humanity. And listen, there is a direct link between Biden's energy policy and what we see happening by Russia right now. I mean, Russia, something like a billion dollars a day is what they're bringing into their coffers through their energy exports. If we could damage that, he couldn't afford to do what he's doing in Ukraine. Hey, we're going to take a time out. Lots more to talk about. We've got a uh, special guest, someone who's well known to you, who is down at CPAC right now. He's going to be joining us shortly. Stay with us. More news and views coming up. A collection of question marks. There's a lot of questions. Why? How? No logic, no reason, no explanation. Just a prolonged nightmare. Worst nightmare of their lives. This long nationwide nightmare. We'll start collecting clues as to the whys, the what's, and the where's. Neighborhood by neighborhood. Literally knocking on doors. This is your worst nightmare. The nightmare. It would be a nightmare. Worst nightmare. We will not end the nightmare. We'll only explain it. Explain to us. Because this. This. This is News and Views with Tom and Benny on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in. Hey, if you're going to go out and do something, well, today's over, so you can't really do much anymore, but, um, Today was the nicest day of the weekend, assuming the Friday start your weekend. Uh, tomorrow, partly sunny, high near 53. Not too bad. Then uh, tomorrow night, the rain comes in and uh, rain likely on Sunday. The high on Sunday, only 51. Chance of rain on Sunday, 80%. So uh, if you're going to get out, do it tomorrow because otherwise uh, Sunday's going to be a washout. Weather brought to you by our friends at the Ironwood Golf and Country Club. Warmer weather is right around the corner, and what better way to enjoy the outdoors with family and friends than being greenside or poolside? Voted best golf course in Greenville three years in a row. Ironwood Golf and Country Club is waiving all initiation fees and wants you to join in the fun and become a member today. Not a golfer? Ironwood's new social membership includes access to the competition-sized swimming pool, clay service tennis courts, and member-only full-service restaurant. For more information, contact Membership Director Jenna Doyle at 252-752-4653. Keith Kidwell, member of the North Carolina House of Representatives from the 79th District, representing Beaufort and Craven Counties. And uh, today he's not in either Raleigh, Beaufort, or Craven. Uh, He's down in Orlando. Keith Kidwell is on the line with us right now. He is down at the CPAC, uh, the the annual get-together of conservatives. And Keith, congratulations. I understand CPAC has awarded you with a, a special uh, honorary. Yes, absolutely, Tom, and, and thank you for uh, having me on today. It's I'm actually outside of the uh, city hall down here enjoying some beautiful Florida sun. So, Well, so, uh, send some our way. Absolutely gorgeous. <laughs> Tell us about. I'm hearing you're going to need it for the day I get home Sunday. So. Yeah, Sunday doesn't look too good. Tell us about this uh, Conservative Achievement Award. So it's actually the third year I've been in. Three years. It's the third year I've received the award uh, consecutively. I've also gotten the Civitas Award three years in a row. Uh, you know, it's just I, I vote my conscience. I vote what the people sent me up to vote, and 
you know, you win conservative awards when you do that. That's how it works. Well, <laughs> so. congratulations, but I mean, this is a pretty big deal. I mean, CPAC is a national organization. Uh, what what was the uh, how did how did they just? I mean, look, we we know how great you are, Keith, but how did CPAC find you're out? You're brilliant. About it? You're handsome. You're rich. <laughs> no, I'm not rich. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Well, so basically what they do, Tom, is uh, both them and Civitas score you on how you vote on different bills, and some of them key in on different bills. And, uh, you know, if you score high enough, you end up getting an award. Uh, and like I said, I've gotten this three times. It's the first time I've been able to come down here. Of course, uh, the last two years with uh, COVID and all that, they had severe restrictions. Actually, 20, I think they had not had it. Um, and this is the 21 award, so... Uh, we're on the the flip side of COVID, and we've got a big event down here, uh, which I'm glad to say I got an opportunity to uh, see Ron DeSantis, who I'm hoping is going to run for president. And, uh, of course, our very own uh, Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson was down here yesterday, had an opportunity to talk with him for a while, watch him on the stage, and he always delivers, I can tell you that. He is something else. He had that crowd fired up. I was going to say, I was going to ask you about both those things. Uh, Mark, uh, yes, he could fire up a crowd you know, as as the as the, the I think this is the second year that he's spoken at CPAC, if I'm not mistaken, and and he, I from what you say, he was very well received. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, the Santis was up there, and a few people I think probably from Florida that didn't know who Mark was. A few people got up and left, but he had a pretty close to sold out crowd at at the arena uh, speaking. And I'll tell you, he had him on their feet many times, many times. So how many people uh, are there? A rock star. How many people oh, are attending? Thousands, thousands. It's a huge venue, so I couldn't even lay eyes on all of them at the same time. And you kind of get to go in and out of the, the event uh, right. where the speakers are as you choose to, if it's somebody you're interested in hearing. Uh, so that you kind of drift in and out of there. There's media. There's an entire aisle of media, I would say, probably about a, close to a half mile long of just one booth after another. Everybody from Fox News to the local events and, you know, the, the Epic Times is there and so on and so forth. So. Uh, today, I imagine, will be even more crowded, and, and tomorrow, I, I think, we'll see the apex of it. Of course, Trump's coming tomorrow, so that ought to be exciting. The, uh, you know, every year as we are in, you know, the, the, the year they have these at CPAC, that the, the midterm is coming up, they begin to showcase people that they think are going to potentially be the Republican uh, candidates for president, and, uh, you know, you're going to hear from Ted Cruz, or I guess you heard from him yesterday, Ron DeSantis, uh, Trump comes up right. tomorrow. I think Rick Scott's going to speak. Who else do you think are in that category of potential presidential uh, nominees? Well, there, there's a bunch. I couldn't even begin to name the list, but the, the number of people speaking, it's about one every 20 minutes that they have somebody up there speaking. And uh, names I've never seen before that are going to be on the stage. And then, of course, you're going to have some of them that are just you know, uh, popular in the rights of media, things of that nature, like Glenn Beck. Right. Uh, in fact, we're even going to have a Democrat speaking at the Reagan dinner tomorrow. No, uh, Tulsi Gabbard. Gabbard. Right, right. I heard yeah. she was going to be there. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, whoa. Yeah. So, so yeah, my wife was like, what's a Democrat doing here? I said, well, it's technically <laughs> open to everybody. So, yeah, they asked her. So uh, what's your feel as you are out and about and you hear people talking and those kind of things? What's your feel about who you think was going to, and I'm assuming they're going to have a straw poll in the presidential deal, but who's, who's getting a lot of the uh, chatter in terms of uh, the, who the presidential nominee would be? 
Well, of course, you're you're in Florida, so you're going to see a lot of locals. So we're we're hearing a lot of DeSantis down here. Sure, and I, I can't say I disagree with that. Uh, there's a lot of people, you know, of course, that are looking for Trump to run. You got uh, uh, what's her name from South Carolina? Ah, Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley. Uh, Haley, yeah. yeah. Uh, Haley's uh, down here, so you know it's, she's obviously one of the people that uh, has an interest in it. Uh, Christy Nome is going to be another one. You know, so the, the good thing is, quite honestly, we have a lot of good, strong possibilities out there for for the upcoming run and quite honestly tom the left has hillary (laughs) sorry (laughs) that's about it no you're right i mean that's who right right now that's the flag that they're raising up the flagpole is uh, like oh my gosh yeah yeah so yeah well maybe it'll be strike three you're out let's see well hey listen uh congratulations on the the third year being uh the um recipient of the conservative achievement award and uh we are proud of you but we're we're happy that uh the rest of the nation has uh, is beginning to see what we've seen all along that uh, keith kidwell is a strong conservative goes out and gets it done thank you tom appreciate it always good to be on your show and uh, we'll see you next thursday sounds good Trace, safe travels there keith Keith Kidwell calling in from Orlando at the CPAC. And uh, C-SPAN will uh, be carrying Donald Trump tomorrow night, so uh, you have to tune in to see uh, what uh, Donald has to say for himself. I, you know, it's it's going to be interesting to see. Um, Nikki, uh, Christy Noam, uh, I think he is uh, she, <laughs> definitely a she. I, I'd put her in the VP category. Um. I was surprised that they were talking about Rick Scott as a potential presidential nominee candidate. I would think uh, I would think of him more as in the VP role. Um, Ted Cruz, possibly. I, I think Ted Cruz, a solid conservative guy. Don't get me wrong, but I think he's. I don't think now is his time. I think he's lost some of his uh, glitter. And, uh, I mean, I, I'm not saying anything earth shattering here when I say, I think it's going to be Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump. They're, they're going to be the two that are competing the most for it, assuming that, um, they both are going to go for it. Uh, I, I have, listen, I love Donald Trump. So don't email me and tell me I'm a turncoat. I, I love Donald Trump, but I would rather see Donald Trump be the king maker than the king. And, uh, and I'm speaking figuratively here. Um, I just think he's, he's set the course. I'd like to see Ron DeSantis, um, step in. If it was Donald Trump, I'd be happy. I'd be happy. I just, uh, don't know if, um, he should go back and do it again. It's happened one other time. Was it Cleveland that, uh, ran one, then was out and then ran again and won? I think it was Cleveland, wasn't it? I had that on a trivia question. I can't remember the answer to it now. President Biden is nominating a uh, was come out today and said who he is going to nominate for the Supreme Court. We've got to take a time out. We come back. I'll tell you who it is. This is your Drive at Five, an ENC with Tom Lamprecht. Welcome back to News and Views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in. So, Joy Behar, who uh, I don't even like to say her name. I mean, it's like 
scratching your fingernails on a chalkboard just to think about her. She is on the view. Obnoxious. Um, but even liberals, even liberals think, what an idiot. So she's on there yesterday with the rest of the cackling hens and uh, started complaining about what's going on in Ukraine because it might disrupt her European vacation. Now, so you have people losing their lives and uh, she's upset because it might upset her European vacation. What a horse's rear end. Clark is happy I said rear end. President Biden is nominating Judge Katanji Brown Jackson to the Supreme Court, making good on his campaign to pick the first black woman to the nation's highest court. Brown Jackson, 51 years old. She's currently a judge for the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia. Brown Jackson has faced heightened scrutiny over a judicial record that includes high-profile rulings later overruled by higher courts, not just once or twice, numerous times. Brown Jackson's record was a focal point last year during a confirmation for a seat on the U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia, where she now sits. So she hasn't exactly been there for a long time. Judge Jackson's record of reversals by the left-leaning D.C. Circuit is troubling for anyone concerned about the rule of law, Judicial Crisis Network President Kerry Savarino told Fox News. For example, Make the Road New York versus Wolf, a D.C. Circuit panel composed of a majority of Democrat justices. So these are Democrats telling her, uh, you're off the reservation, lady. Uh, they concluded that Jackson had set aside a Trump administration rule where there was no legal basis to do so. Cases like this suggest that Jackson might be willing in politically charged cases to ignore the law to deliver a particular policy outcome that's not what we want to see from a Supreme Court justice, Savarino continued. Sounds just like Anita Earls. I mean, this is exactly what Anita Earls and the Democrats in the North Carolina State Supreme Court did concerning the Constitution and these voting maps. Uh, again, from Savarino, I quote, cases like these suggest that Jackson and or Anita Earls might be willing to politi uh, willing in politically charged cases to ignore the law in order to deliver a particular policy outcome. Bingo! During Jackson's 2021 confirmation for her current position, conservatives pointed to her track record of overturned rulings. One 2019 case involved an order that expanded the Department of Homeland Security's definition on which non-citizens could be deported. Another overturning involved a trio of orders on federal employees' collective bargaining power. Jackson's DHS ruling was overturned two to one by the D.C. Circuit Court, which said reviewing the DHS policy did not fall under the Administrative Procedure Act. The judge's ruling on the three collective bargaining orders was overturned unanimously by the liberal D.C. Circuit Court, that ruled that Jackson did not have jurisdiction to adjudicate the case. I mean, these are basic 101 deals. I mean, I, I, again, we have people that are, and, and why is anybody listening to these people? I mean, I know they, they're in a p position 
But when they have no authority and they're making these rulings, why is anybody listening to them? Why don't they just sort of look at them like you're crazy and walk away? Senate Republicans are likely to point out our string of overturned cases in our confirmation hearing. Uh, again, I, you know, I, I said this about Anita Earls and the Democrats, and now we've got another one. This is anarchy. When you have people that take power upon themselves and begin to make these decisions that go against law, we are living in a lawless society. And this is, this is the best Joe Biden can come up with. Payback. I mean, how, how much did he have to promise when all the Democrats said, Joe, you're going to be our president? But here's what you have to sign off on. And I'm sure this is one of them. And I mean, black woman, I, that, what's, I, I don't really care if, you know, who, wh- what race or what the color or what the gender or anything else. But could we have somebody that would follow the Constitution? And isn't it funny how liberals never acknowledge Clarence Thomas? Uh, he's my hero. To me, he is the best, the most conservative member of the Supreme Court. I'm, I'm, every time I hear that he might retire, it, uh, it saddens me because, uh, to me, he is – I mean, he he is standing for the Constitution time after time after time. Carolina Journal has got an interesting article out today. Parents across North Carolina want their voices heard on what's best for their children, especially after two years of lockdown, mask mandates, and changing curriculum. Catherine Truitt, the superintendent for North Carolina Department of Education, or instruction, is giving parents a platform through a new Parent Advisory Commission. Now, pay attention to this. If you're listening in eastern North Carolina, pay attention. And if you're upset where public education has gone, you need to respond to this. This commission is focused on giving parents a seat at the table and strengthening parent and family involvement in education, Truett said. Parents play an integral role in encouraging their child to achieve excellence in the classroom. The 48-member advisory board will include six parents or guardians from each of the state's eight educational regions to ensure diverse geographical participation. The advisory commission comes as parents are removing their children from traditional public schools across the county, across the country, rather, and in North Carolina. The commission's membership will include parents with students enrolled in traditional public schools, charter schools, homeschooling, and private schools to ensure broad representation of all school choice options across the state. The composition of the commission includes two traditional public schools, one charter public school, one homeschool, one private school, one at-large public school member from the largest county in each region, including Buncombe, Catawba, Cumberland, Guilford, Mecklenburg, New Hanover, Pitt, and Wake. Parents from across the state can apply through March the 31st. The applications can be found at the Department of Public Instruction's website, which is uh, dpi.nc.gov. I've gone to the website. If you go there, you're going to see immediately pop up on the screen an application to be a part of this advisory board. 
The advisory board of parents will discuss challenges that will put together recommendations for elected officials and policymakers, giving direct feedback to Truett. Members will serve two-year terms with the full commission aiming to convene quarterly beginning this summer. So it's not a huge uh, commitment. You're going to meet quarterly. It's a two-year commitment. So you're talking about a a total of eight meetings. Total K-12 enrollment in 2020-21 fell by nearly 3%, or 1.5 million students. Pre-K had the biggest drop with a 22% decline, according to the data from National Center for Education Statistics. Now, these are national numbers. North Carolina has seen a decline of 4.4%, or nearly 63,000 fewer students, according to the Carolina Demography. Average daily membership is the most accurate way to measure how students are enrolled in respective schools in North Carolina. Charlotte-Mecklenburg schools have the largest uh, decline with 8,055 fewer students. That school district followed by Wake, Rowan, Rowan, Salisbury, Winston-Salem, and Guilford counties. The Carolina demography report shows enrollment was down for all grades across the state except for grade 10, with the largest decline in kindergarten enrollment with 14,282 fewer students. The pandemic, obviously, was one reason for this, but what's interesting is the number, and listen, this happened in our family. The pandemic basically got one of my daughters to start homeschooling her daughter. And uh, you know what? She found out she could do it, and the daughter loved it. Now they're doing a combination of homeschooling and sort of a cottage school. When children return to the classroom, then they face face masks. And uh, yeah, that's you know, you know that story. And then you got the whole CRT story. Then you got the whole transgenderism story. I mean, we've covered that extensively. Had Taylor Keith in here talking about that. Had, had talked to a number of parents that just are totally done with it. Well, here's an opportunity. Taylor Keith, if you're listening, you need to do this. Here's an opportunity for people to get involved. If you want to be a part of this parent advisory commission, and I hope they're overwhelmed. Listen, somebody's going to fill in these seats. Somebody's going to fill in these 48 slots. Would it please be conservative moms and dads getting in there that have the right perspective on what their kids need? If you want to apply, you can call the Parent Advisory Commission. Get your pencil out. That number is 984-236-2100 or apply online at dpi.nc.gov. Again, that's 984-236-2100 or dpi.nc.gov. Hey, we've got to take another time out. Lots more to talk about. Stay with us. More news and views right after this. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood. A beautiful day for a neighbor. First thing you should do after work. I turn on the radio. Check in with Tom and Benny. Got to know what's happening in my city. What's going on in my backyard. Things that are happening locally. I like the local news. Things that I don't hear everywhere else. I don't hear everywhere else. For the local news you want. Kept me informed for all of the local stuff, you know. It let me know what was going on in the local community. Eastern Carolina's news sources. News and views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7.
Earlier this afternoon, officials from the United States and the United Kingdom, UK, on uh, said that Russian forces have not made the kinds of gains they expected in Ukraine, with one official saying Russia was behind on day one targets. Quote, the Russians have lost a little bit of momentum, a U.S. defense official said. No population centers have been taken. Russia has yet to achieve air superiority. The official noted that Ukraine's air and missile defense capability is working, though degraded. In general, we assess the Russian forces are encountering greater resistance than they expected, the official added. Ukrainian command and control is intact. A British intelligence update from the Ministry of Defense noted that Lviv has sounded air raid sirens, but officials have seen no evidence of strikes in the city. Good news. WECT in Wilmington and other numerous media outlets across the state are reporting this story is bizarre. A former North Carolina police chief was arrested yesterday for allegedly faking his own death in an attempt to dodge prosecution on more than 80 felony charges. Ex-Chaborn Chief Anthony Spivey, 36 years old, skipped a court hearing on Monday and staged his own suicide. (laughs) He was nabbed just after midnight on Thursday hiding out in his aunt's apartment in Loris, South Carolina. Now, the um, booming metropolis of uh, this town, Chaburn, is about 10 miles east of Whiteville. And uh, Loris, South Carolina, is just south of there, just over the South Carolina line. Spivey had been top cop in the small town of Chadburn until April when he was slapped with a dozen I'm sorry, with dozens of charges and accused of raiding the police department's evidence locker time after time after time, destroying evidence, trafficking opium. In other words, he was taking the drugs that they've confiscated and turning around and selling them. And he was selling seized weapons to friends and family, according to the News and Observer. North Carolina State Bureau of Investigation launched its probe into the Chadbourne Department because of the lack of confiscated drugs being sent to the state crime lab for analysis. Spivey later faced charges for allegedly embezzling $8,000 in money raised to help a local family who had lost a child to cancer. This according to WECT. Although the disgraced chief got out of jail on bond, he was arrested again for stealing from an auto shop that hired him after he was fired from the police force. How in the world did this guy get the job as police chief? I mean, what's the qualifications? You got a frog, fog a mirror? Prosecutors tried to keep the slippery Spivey behind bars, but he remained free on bond, then ditched a recent court case claiming that he was sick with COVID. Facing another court date on Monday, he staged his death by parking a truck near a boat launch on the Lumber River where he left a letter saying goodbye to his family. This according to WWAY. Family members described the incident as a possible suicide, and Columbus County, North Carolina police found Spivey's boat at the river with a 22 caliber rifle on board, a news release said. A discharge round was still in the chamber. Dive crews searched for three days, but investigators never believed Spivey killed him. As investigators collected video from surveillance systems and conducted interviews, it became more apparent that the scene on the river was staged. 
A warrant was issued for Spivey's arrest on Wednesday, and police caught up with him at the apartment complex at 12.45 a.m., according to Columbus cops. He ran from the complex but was caught in the woods. This, according to uh, local police there in South Spivey has 40 failing to appear in court for a total bond. I'm sorry, Chad Burr, how desperate were you to hire a police chief? I mean, was there zero vetting? Listen, somebody that ends up as the police chief doesn't all of a sudden change. The leopard can't change his spots. I'm sorry. This guy was bad news from the get-go. Why did you hire him? (laughs) Now, this is humorous. MSNBC needs a primetime anchor. Why? Because uh, their top gal in the evening, Rachel Maddow, the longtime NBC host, has decided to do other things. Believe it or not, they wanted Maddow. Don't ask me why. Uh, you know, I, it, it pays to be a liberal, as I can say. They boosted her pay. They offered her, are you ready for this? Rachel Maddow, I mean, their, their numbers stink. They offered her $30 million a year. And she turned it down. So who are they thinking about replacing Mad Dog with? You're not going to believe this. Jen Psaki. <laughs> Saki apparently wants to leave the White House sometime this year. This according to the New York Post. And uh, apparently she ran into a guy named Jay Searles, who is uh, a super agent. And he started shopping around the idea of Saki as a potential cable news primetime host. And uh, MSNBC and CNN are both interested in her. So y- you thought you could get rid of Peppermint Patty um, if she were to leave the White House. You wouldn't have to be looking at her. Well, you don't have to look at her anymore. And all you got to do is avoid tuning into MSNBC. And if you're listening to this program, you probably don't tune into MSNBC or CNN anyway. Dan Bishop, congressman, North Carolina, announced on social media Wednesday that he might not seek re-election after reviewing the new congressional maps. He reversed course just a day later and declared where he would run. Quote, activist judges have subverted our Constitution, Bishop said. I'm weighing whether to run in the court-imposed 8th or 9th district, but I'm also actively exploring running for statewide judicial office in 2022 and uh, will store constitutional government in North Carolina. I mean, he'd be great on the Supreme Court. That exploration lasted only until yesterday when Bishop announced that he would run in the 8th congressional district. Earlier on Thursday, Representative Richard Hudson announced he would run in the 9th congressional district. Bishops have served in the House just since uh, September of 2019. He holds a law degree from UNC Chapel Hill. We won't hold that against him. The 8th District, which encompasses many of his current constituents, includes Anson, Davidson, Montgomery, Rowan, Stanley Union, and parts of Cabarrus and Richmond counties. And again, uh, filing reopened yesterday and uh, goes through March the 4th. So if you want to run for office, you better sign up right away. Listen, uh, thanks for being with us. Congratulations again to Keith Kidwell on his uh, award from CPAC. 
Have a great weekend. Get out and enjoy the day tomorrow. Sunday's going to be a washout, and we'll be back on Monday. See you at 5 then. Bye-bye, everybody. All right, all right.